You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. Good morning. I hope you are all doing well on this beautiful sunny day here in the Pittsburgh. Just want to give a quick shout out to those who are listening via podcast today. I want to say hello and glad that you chose to join in with us as well. If you're here today in person, I invite you to pull out your bulletins because you will find in your bulletin some notes and invite you to follow along uh, in your notes with us today. Or if you want, you can pull out your smartphone and uh, you can follow along in the, uh, under the live tab in the RCC app. You're joining us today in our current sermon series called Pixels. And we've chosen four particular pixels to help you to put together the view, the image of God and what he looks like and to help you kind of get up close and personal to understand and to see his nature and his attributes. So far in this series, we have looked at God as creator. We have looked at God as holy, God as redeemer. And today, today we're going to take a look at God as healer. And I found when it comes to the topic of healing, divine healing, we often have more questions than answers, do we not? My hope today is that you and that I will allow God to provide us with some answers and that we will learn to live by faith when those time, in those times that we don't have answers to all of our questions. I also encourage you to keep in mind that our own personal experiences, our human understanding, or our interpretation in no way determines the absolute truth of God's scripture, of God's word in scripture. You see, it is God's word alone that determines the truth of divine healing. I'm going to just take a minute here to address those of you who have, may have wandered in today here for the first time, and you're just trying to explore that whole faith in Jesus thing. And first of all, I just want to say, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that after service, we get an opportunity to meet one another. But the reason why I want to address you personally is because I'm pretty sure that you have probably had some pretty bad examples of faith as it relates to the subject of healing. You see, I know that over the years in my own life that I have seen some pretty amazing, pretty amazing followers of Christ be hurt by others who were well-meaning Christians but have said some things that were pretty painful to those I know that have been sick. I say all that to say is I don't want you allow, I don't want you to allow the imperfections and the mistakes of us those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, to deter you from getting to know Jesus. Speaking of human stories, last week, as many of you know, uh, we were on vacation. We were on a beach in Florida. Uh, Al and I, the whole family got to go. It was pretty exciting. Uh, Nikki and John and baby Zoe got to go with us. Marissa Christie, and we even brought a friend of the family. My other fourth daughter, I call her Kaylee. We had an amazing time. I got a chance to pay herself for the first time in his life. That was interesting. The man is petrified of the water, so that was so much fun to watch. I'm sorry, that was cruel, but it was really great fun. And I got a chance to jet ski again this year. But 
I, I want to share with you my uh, little jet skiing experience this year. First of all, what you need to know is the waves in the Gulf this year were really high this particular day, okay? So just, just keep that in mind if you don't mind. So, you know, we get together and the crew is leading us out into the water and Marissa and Kaylee jump on their jet ski and they take off and, and my son-in-law John, he jumps on his ski, his jet ski and takes off and Christy, my youngest, decides that she's going to ride with mom this year. Pretty cool, even when you're 20. So, anyways, we go out, we head out to our jet ski. The young man is standing there holding the jet ski, and he goes, Just grab one here and just, you know, pull your leg up and get on to the jet ski. I'm like, oh, I could do that. I did it last year, right? Not a problem. So, I grab onto the back of the, uh, the seat of the jet ski, and I go to put my leg up. And every time I go to do that, the wave comes and it pushes me and the jet ski back towards the beach. And it's, well, the rest isn't very pretty at all, actually. <clears throat> So here I am, each attempt that I'm trying to throw my leg up on top of the jet ski to get on. I have Christy standing behind me who is cracking up. She is laughing. This is my child with compassion. She's standing behind me laughing hysterically because I cannot get my leg up on this darn jet ski. Every time it goes up, it falls down. And the poor young man, the poor young man, He's trying so desperately. First of all, he's trying desperately not to laugh out loud. I appreciated that. I did because my daughter wasn't. But he's trying really hard not to laugh out loud. And he's like, miss, just, just, and he goes, just put your leg up here, which is the top of the seat. And he goes, just put your leg up here. And I'm like, my leg? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. He goes, no, I meant your hand. Just put your hand up here and get up on the jet ski. Yeah. I was completely humiliated. But what it did do for me is realize when I got back that I'm going to join Pilates so that next time I get on a jet ski, I can actually throw my leg up on top of the jet ski. So it was a good experience. But that experience is memorable for many reasons because it serves to remind us that these bodies that we live in, these bodies decline. They decay. And the older we get, uh, we find at times that it's a little harder some of us are nodding. It's a little harder. I get, no, wait. Now, if you're a 30-year-old and you're in a room, you wait till the day where you realize that your arms aren't long enough to read the words on the page, okay? Because that day will come. And then after that is when you realize your legs aren't long enough to throw them up over a jet ski. But anyways, the reality of it is that no matter how hard we try, these bodies still succumb to age, they still succumb to disease, to sickness, to hearing loss, to eyesight loss, all of those things. But with that being said, we find that scripture tells us that one day we will be complete. There's two little words in there that says will and be that reminds us that as of right now, it is not yet complete. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' first followers, writes to a group of people who were trying to learn what it looked like to follow Jesus about this particular subject. He says, and you'll find this in your notes, in 1 John 3, verse 2, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. We have not yet been shown what we will be in the future. But we know that when Christ comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. Now, can I tell you, those of us who call, who have decided to make that uh, decision to follow Christ, we're pretty darn excited about the idea of Christ's return because that means that perfection, that how God originally created us will be restored. But let me start this, let me set the stage for you, I mean, regarding what I mean by completeness. So you will find in the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, that all of God's creation 
was created in perfection. See, we were created in perfect health. Adam and Eve, uh, the Garden of Eden, for me as a gardener, the idea of no weeds in a garden sounds like perfection. All the creatures, everything he made was made in perfection. But you see, it was here in the garden that sin entered the world through the decisions of two people. Many of you know Adam and Eve. You see, they woke up one day and decided that they no longer wanted to trust their Heavenly Father, and they chose to take matters into their own hands. I'm sure that none of you, none of you can relate to that whatsoever. I know I certainly cannot. And you see, it was that decision, it was their decision that brought with it the brokenness, the pain, the sickness, the difficulties of life that we inevitably face here on earth. And we, unfortunately, are still paying the price for that. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Because we find a little further along in the middle of Genesis uh, 3, where God is pronouncing the judgment on the sin that Adam and Eve did, we find there the promise of our redemption. You see, it's here that God points us to the answers to our sinful nature. His name is Jesus. But the thing is, that wholeness that we will experience one day, it came at a great expense. Jesus was beaten and he suffered and he died on the cross for our sins. We often forget that the price that was paid for our wholeness was huge. You see, we have a heavenly father who cares so much for us that he went to great lengths to make sure that we had a way to return to relationship with him because sin separates us from having a relationship with God. The psalmist wrote the following words to help us see the character and nature of our heavenly father and his desire to make us whole. He writes in Psalm 103 verses 1 through 3. He says, praise the Lord, I tell myself and my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and he heals all of my weakness and all of my disease. Can we say amen? Can we say amen? Absolutely. See, here's what we need to understand about the nature of our heavenly father in the context of healing. Ultimately, God's primary concern is to restore our souls. See, to heal and to fix the brokenness within us, our spiritual brokenness. Our Heavenly Father longs for us once again to have that personal and intimate relationship with us. And the only way that that can happen after the choices that Adam and Eve made was through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Douglas opened today's service with a verse in Isaiah 53. That verse was written 700 years before Jesus was born that spoke of the cost of our redemption. You see, Jesus rescues us from our brokenness by sacrificing himself on the cross and paying a price for our sin. You see, I believe it's through the story of redemption when Jesus enters onto the scene or into the scene that we begin reading about his life and his ministry here on earth. And the questions begin to arise about the subject of healing. I believe it's here where we in our humanness 
struggle to understand some of the things that we read. Because see, throughout the New Testament scripture, as we watch Jesus uh, do his ministry, what we see at times is Jesus will come, he will walk into a room or into a place, and he will heal everybody in the room. But then there's other times that we see in scripture that Jesus walks in, and he may only heal one, or he may only heal two, and there's others that are left in the room. Why does he do that? That's a question that I will tell you that I have on a list that I will ask when I get there, and I do have one of those. But here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus has paid an incredible price for our healing. I like how the Apostle Paul, another follower of Jesus, summarized in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25, what Jesus did in order for us to be ultimately restored, spiritually healed. Follow along with me, and if you're noting, you would. Take them out, take a look. It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live righteous. It's here where Peter points us back to Isaiah 53. It says, by his wounds, you have been healed, meaning you have been saved, you have been redeemed. Your spiritual brokenness at your soul level has been restored. He goes on to say, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So ultimately, when we talk about the subject of healing, God's primary concern is our soul. Because the truth is that these bodies that we live in are decaying and they weren't meant to last forever. And here's how I know this. Think about this. Have you ever met, have any of you ever met any of the people that Jesus healed back in the New Testament? Right? Have you? No, I haven't. And why is that? Because even though Jesus miraculously healed them, their bodies ultimately still died. Because you see, we are waiting for the ultimate healing. You see, God views death so much differently than we view it. We see it as an end. He sees it as just the beginning. If you're listening today and you are exploring faith in Jesus, what I need you to know is that your heavenly father is far more concerned. His primary concern is that the spiritual brokenness inside of you is healed. And he offers a way for that to happen. And that is through Jesus. So what about physical healing? I know there's a lot of questions about physical healing. So I want to spend the rest of our time together looking at that. Take a look back at your notes. And you will see, first of all, that we cannot and do not earn God's healing, nor can we rope him in to healing us. You see, the, method are, the methods are God's choice because he is all-powerful and all-knowing. He knows what we need even before we do. 
There's no magic formula to healing. Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament shows numerous examples of how healing took place. Just want to throw a couple of these out there for you. In one, in one area in the Old Testament, you will see that healings took place by people staring at a bronze serpent on a pool. Another, you see the rubbing of figs on a king's boil. Um, ooh, gross. No, thank you. Uh, but anyways, you will also find there are times where people were touched to be healed, where there was just a word that was spoken over someone and they were healed. One of my personal favorites is making mud and placing it on a man's eyes to bring healing. How about this one? Spitting in a man's ear and touching his tongue. Don't worry, we don't do that here on a Sunday morning. You won't have to worry about that if you come up for prayer, I promise. You see, people reached out to touch the cloak of Jesus and were healed. Peter's shadow was cast over others and that brought healing. In other places, the Apostle Paul's handkerchiefs and his apron were prayed over, sent out, and it brought healing. And finally, a more familiar example is the anointing with oil and the praying for the sick. You see, I believe the reason we are shown so many methods of healing in Scripture is so that we can learn that there is no one right way. You see, the methods of healing change, but the source of our healing does not It is our Heavenly Father, it is God Almighty, who is our healer. Here's another thing that I understand through scripture regarding healing, and that is healing serves a purpose in our lives. It serves to remind us that our Heavenly Father is compassionate. It teaches us to give him all of the credit. Healing is used to build and to stretch our faith. It's used to demonstrate that he's listening to our prayers. It serves at times to bring others around us to a place where they put their faith in Jesus as well. It's used to create a dependency upon him. Every healing that happens has a purpose. We find a great deal of insight into this topic of healing through the story of Apostle Paul. As some of you know, Paul originally was Saul. Saul was, Saul was not a nice man. He was probably one of the biggest champions to take Jesus down that ever was. But then Saul had a life-changing experience, and his name through that life-changing experience became Paul. And Paul, who once was one of the greatest persecutors, was now a tremendous, tremendous defender of the faith. His resume was pretty impressive. You see, Paul took the gospel all over the world. He spent 20 years of his life traveling around the world by ship and sharing the good news. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. How's that for a resume? God did incredible, incredible miracles through this man. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He became a Christian about three or four years after the resurrection. Paul was a passionate, passionate man for Jesus. Yet, the story tells us that at some point, he was inflicted with a physical ailment. Nobody knows exactly what that is, and there's been plenty of speculation over the years, trust me. But it is in that infliction that Paul proceeds to ask God to heal it to take it away, to remove it from him. And God answers, no. Wait a minute, hold up. 
he gets told no. How is that fair? He's got a resume that, I don't know about you, but mine doesn't look like that for the faith. I wish it did. Look how much this guy did for the kingdom of God. Remember all the sermons, all the altar calls? What about all the people whose lives were changed by Paul and what he did in his ministry? And he gets told no? I remember the first time that I read this story as a new follower of Jesus. And I got to tell you, this was my response. I was like, what? That's right. I'm thinking this guy was crazy for Jesus. What is this all about? But then I realized, I realized at the same time that this story has implications for you and for I. See, Jesus knew Paul by name. He loved Paul. He called Paul into ministry. And the answer was still no. Then it was clear. Why would I, after reading this story, or maybe let me broaden it, why would we, why would we think that we were any different? What would make us think that we should be so privileged and special? Why would we think that God wouldn't tell us no? And why is it that when he tells us no, we can't seem to bring ourselves to the realization that there are reasons beyond our own understanding? Stay with me here because I don't want you to check out. Because see, even though he said no, he did promise something in the midst of these circumstances. Take a look at how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. He says, so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift, the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did its best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And please understand, this wasn't three times in one conversation. This is three seasons, three seasons of lament where Paul was pleading and saying to God, why, please remove this from me, remove this thorn from me. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. As I reflected on this text, I couldn't help but wonder, why is it? You know, you turn on the TV, you watch a sports game, and all the athletes, you know, when they get a touchdown or they get a home run, they're like, yeah, God did it. You know, they're pointing to heaven. And the actors on the stage, you know, when they receive these big awards, it's like, you know, just want to thank God, first of all. Or even us, when we get a promotion or we get some sort of accolade, like, oh, give God be the glory, God be the glory. It's easy to glorify God when things are going great. But what about the times when our lives are a mess? What about our seasons of sickness or weakness that life here on earth blindsides us with? Why aren't we doing the happy dance then? But instead, it's in those times, it's in those difficult times that we find ourselves asking, how do I keep going? through this crippling circumstance 
when God says no. Listen, this is important to hear because see, God will, God has, and God is going to showcase his strength in our weakness. But listen, if and when we can learn to take no for an answer. You know, I'm not sure where it happened along the way, but somewhere along the way, we came up with this distorted thinking that no from God means that we aren't loved. Or that when we're told no, it's because somehow we don't measure up. We're not good enough. And that's why God tells us no. But I want you to hear me on this. Being told no has absolutely nothing to do with God's love for you or God's love for me. It doesn't lessen his compassion toward us, nor does it diminish his presence in our lives. And why do I say that, you ask? Because it is his strength in our weakness that it is revealed in his presence in our lives. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes after he has his aha moment in regards to understanding what God's sustaining grace means. It changed his whole outlook on life. Look at what he writes in verse 9. He writes, Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicapped and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now, I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that once cut me down to size, I now just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The weaker we get, the stronger we become. You see, my friends, that is how God's sustaining grace works. It's no longer our strength. It is no longer in your strength, but it is his strength that carries us through. But here's the catch. It's only if and when we learn to take no for an answer. And no, by the way, just for the record, just for the record, no is an answer. Okay? Yeah, okay, I see you don't No is an answer. It is, it really is. I know it's not the one that you want to hear. I know it's not the answer we'd like to hear, but no really is an answer. And can I tell you, over 20 years of ministry, people will call me like, oh, Pastor Lori, man, I just gotta tell you how God answered your prayer. This, it was amazing, and God did this, and God did that, and all these things. Not once have I ever gotten a phone call, a text message, an email that says, Pastor Lori, I wanna tell you how God answered my prayer. You know what? He said no. Not once, not once has that ever happened. I've been given uh, the honor many times to walk alongside of those who have been told no to physical healing. I call it an honor because I understand how vulnerable we as human beings feel in our weakness. And it's during those times that the mask, the facade that we tend to walk around with comes down. And it's when life becomes very real. To me, these are the people who are the real winning athletes in this race that we call life. These are the true stars on the stage of life. See, through their journey, they have openly shared <clears throat> their doubts, their fears, their questions. And honestly, at times, there's more questions than there are answers. 
Yet through it all, they learned to take no for an answer. And it was in their weakness that God's sustaining grace was found. And hear this, it is in our weakness that we will find God's promise of sustaining grace. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Thank you. Now I want to pause here just for a minute because I want to share with you some reflections on God's sustaining grace. And you'll find these in your notes. I just want to run through those with you quickly. The first thing is that we have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. Number two, God has permission, even though he doesn't need it, to say no. You see, when God says no and chooses not to fix it, he provides roads there for us that we didn't even know were there. When God says no, he will bring us through it. And when God says no, he does help us little by little along the way. Number three, God may choose to showcase his power on the stage of our weakness. God's choice to heal one and not another is not based on his love or compassion for an individual because God is always loving and he is and always cares about you. Number four, we can't experience God's sustaining grace while we are resisting his will. Resisting his will, what does that mean? That means that we are, <clears throat> excuse me, that we are unable to take his no for an answer. Number five, sustaining grace begins with not my will, but thy will be done. I also think it'd be good to share with you some of the things that can hinder us from our wholeness. Because we need to be aware of the potential of these things to do so. And scripture, thankfully, gives us examples of of those things as well. One of those things is unconfessed sin. That will hinder us from wholeness because sin separates us from God. Demonic oppression, bondage can do the same. Fear can hinder us from wholeness. So can past disappointments that we have allowed to undermine our faith. Other people can hinder us. So can false teachings and unbelief. And lastly, I believe that scripture teaches us that you and I can be used to pray for others to be restored. And I would like to clarify something for you regarding this because see, nowhere in the Bible does it say that people control the gift of healing. It is God alone who is the giver of the gift, not people. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote to the early followers about Jesus uh, in regards to healing. And just a little side note here. James, the brother of Jesus, okay, Jesus, brother James. James didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the death and resurrection of his brother. And I gotta tell you, I mean, my sibling is in the room here somewhere. I don't think I would believe he was God either unless he died and resurrected himself. I don't know about you. But in James' writing, in James 5, verses 14 through 16, you will also find the explanation as to why you see at times when you sit here on a Sunday morning that people will come up for prayer, people will be anointed with oil. That's where this comes from. <clears throat> Let's take a look at what James says. He says, are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, 
you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Amen. See, the topic of healing is tough. And I realize for many of us sitting in the room that it raises a lot of emotions. But when God chooses not to heal someone physically as we think he should, can I encourage you to still trust him? Please understand that when I say this, I know that it's a whole lot easier to talk about this than it is to walk it out. I recently was forced to walk it out myself. Last November, if I can say this without, last November, my very best friend in the world was diagnosed with cancer. She did all the treatments, she did all the surgery, she did all those things. But eight weeks later, she passed away. My friend Marilyn took no for an answer. And the reason why I share this with you, to be honest, It's because I want you to know, I still struggle with that. I still do. Because see, Marilyn was my best friend in the whole wide world. Marilyn was the one who started Stephen Ministry here at Riverside with me. We did life together. Every morning at 7, 10 a.m., my phone would ring and I would look at it, pick up, and she'd go, hey, Blondie, what are you doing? I wrestled with that why question a lot. Because, see, Marilyn was a nurse. Marilyn was all about, all about living her life to give to others. There was not a selfish bone in this woman's body. And I stood there and I said to God, why? Why? Why did you tell her no? (sighs) Two thoughts come to my mind as I ponder that question. And the first is this. That even if God would have given me an answer to the why, can I tell you there is no answer that God could have given me that would have helped satisfy my heart. It was hurting pretty bad. And second is the realization that God did, God did heal Marilyn. It just wasn't here. He chose to heal her there. You see, our minds see life here on earth is finite. God sees life through different lenses. His are infinite. We as humans focus on the here and the now, and God focuses on eternity. We are concerned with our physical healing of our infirmities, whereas God, our Heavenly Father, is far more concerned 
about our spiritual healing. I know that many of you in this place, as I look around the room, have struggled with the why question. I recognize the look. And no doubt, some of you still are. I just want you to know that I can relate to that anger. I know it doesn't seem fair when he chooses to heal, when God says no, and he chooses not to heal as we think he should. But can I just encourage you to not turn your back on God? You see, it's okay. I want you to hear this. It's okay to be mad at God. And you know what? It's even okay when you walk into the hospital and you get that word and you find yourself getting on the elevator and your mind is spinning. It's okay to yell at God because you see, he's big enough. And God would far rather have you sit and yell at him and yell at him and tell him you were mad at him. He would much rather have you do that than you turn and walk your back away from him because that grieves him greatly. I promise you, that you can trust him because he will never, ever, ever turn his back on you, even when it feels like he may have. Another thing that I want to encourage you to do is look for the good in the situation. And I don't mean the Pollyanna good, like, oh, isn't that nice? No, I encourage you to look for the good that happens in those relationships. I've clung to the truth of Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things... God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So my takeaway for today, for us, is this. We can ask God, and we should, for healing. We need to believe that God has healed, and we can experience that healing, but we also, we also need to trust in him when he says no. So much easier to do is it to say than do. Personal question time. <clears throat> and I know many of you look at me like, oh man, here she goes. But no, I gotta ask these. I gotta ask these questions. And I wanna ask you, how good are you? How good are you at taking no for an answer from God? I see somebody go, mm-mm. Is there something in your life that you've asked God to remove and he said no? Is there something in your life right now as you sit here that you're trying to learn how to take no for an answer? Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and God has told you no and you're trying to find the strength to go on. Maybe you're here today and you recognize that I was talking this morning and you're like, yeah, that's right, I'm mad at God. I'm really angry at him because you know what? He should have and he could have and he said no. Or maybe some of you were sitting here and there's some other stuff that's going on in your heart and you're not quite sure what that's all about. It's okay. That's okay. That's why we're here. 
I'm going to invite the worship team, if they would, if they would come up and <clears throat> as they come forward. I'm also going to ask that the prayer partners would come forward too, would just come and stand. And as I close this message by praying for us, and we're going to head into a time of extended worship, I'm going to invite you to think about what we talked about this morning. I'm going to invite you to ponder and maybe go to those places that you've been trying really hard to avoid because nobody, including I, wants to hear the, the word no. So I'm going to ask you during this time, close your eyes. Close your eyes. And wherever it is that you need to be to work through this stuff with God, if, whether it be in your seat, whether you need to come up and you need to have one of the prayer partners pray for you, or maybe you just need to come and you need to kneel down front here, you just need to spend some time alone with God, I invite you to do so. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for your word, the only absolute truth. It is in your word that we can find answers to the difficulties that we face in this life. You are the God of healing. And I know that there are many in this room that need that from you today. So Father, those who are in this room who are in need of physical touch, God, I pray that you would touch them. For those who are in need of emotional or relational healing, I pray that you would place your hand upon them. And I know, I know that there are those in this place who are in need of spiritual healing because the brokenness inside of them seems so overwhelming. I ask today, Father, I ask today that you would make yourself real, that you would make yourself known, that you would bring healing to them in ways that only you can do. I'm thankful for a God that pursues us in our brokenness. And I ask now, Father, that you would have your will, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our souls. We open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.